Coming up this week on Breaking Badness. Today we discuss license and exfiltration pleas, license plate scanning tech ransacked by hacker, next up, I smell a rat, new activity by APT10, and finally, a bleak outlook on an Office 365 phishing scam. Breaking Badness is next. to Breaking Badness, episode number 15, recorded on June 3rd, 2019. I'm your co-host, Kelsey. The pun is mightier than the sword, LaBelle. With me, co-host Emily. I promise I'm not a hacker. Don't know if I believe that. And last but not least, Tim. I honestly had no idea how fast I was going. Helming, don't know if that would hold up in court. It's all I got. (laughs) I feel like there's a theme um, with the last two nicknames here in that they may not be full truths. <laughs> our, now our intros are two truths and a lie. <laughs> that's right. Oh, that's good. We should make can. that just we a should. feature of the show. That would be pretty yeah. hilarious. Yep. <laughs> Something wasn't hacked this week. That's right. You write Truth in or and, lie. <laughs> and you guess which one it was and be uh, entered into a drawing for a fabulous prize. Do we have? We don't have fabulous prizes, do we? We, we should start having really fabulous cool prizes. We can Domain tools stickers, but yeah. we should make a Breaking Badness Sticker. stickers. Yeah. yeah. Then people can go that's into a good idea. Sticker Shock. <sighs> well, speaking of Tim's intro here regarding the speed of, I'm assuming, his vehicle, um, unless you're running some really fast races there, um, but our first article today is called License and Exfiltration, Please. License and Exfiltration, Please. The maker of vehicle license plate readers used extensively by the U.S. government and cities to identify and track citizens and immigrants, grown, has been hacked. Its internal files were pilfered and are presently being offered for free on the dark web to download. So, first of all, Tim, can you provide some context on the Tennessee-based organization? I believe it's Perceptics. Sure. They're one of the biggest manufacturers of license plate reader technology. That even has its own acronym. Uh, So you can start calling it LPR if you want to sound like the cool kids. These are one of the biggest manufacturers of LPR. And their stuff is used uh, all over the place, but in particular at the U.S. borders with uh, Canada and Mexico. Um, And so naturally there's going to be a lot of uh, data regarding border crossings. And Tim, can you provide some details on this this hack? Stevie Wonder. (laughs) He's a detail, but we'll get to that later. The Duke. Uh, Yeah. According to the Register, uh, the U.K. um, newspaper, this... Uh, attack was carried out by an actor who goes by the identity Boris Bullet Dodger. And I say it in that really lame Russian accent because apparently <laughs> that is a uh, sort of a Russian nickname, character name or something. Uh, the, Boris made off with about 65,000 files that were uh, a few hundred gigs of data. I need to know more about this Boris character. Are they are they new on the scene? You know, that's unclear. Um so I did some searching on this ID, and it was uh, tied to a different breach that happened earlier this month, uh, but, uh, or I should say last month, sorry, it happened earlier in May. 
And uh, but there doesn't seem to be a lot of info about that actor ID from earlier than that. So there's a bunch of deviant art stuff with that name. I don't know if it's the same actor or not. You know, it could be just uh, just somebody else using that name. But there's not a lot of info that I can find about a threat actor who goes by that name. Interesting. I'll be curious to keep an eye on that. And <laughs> for our listeners, um, our committed listeners. We do, we do try to do some in-the-moment jokes and just let it roll, but some of this is planned, and Tim is the king of planting ridiculous responses to my questions. <laughs> this one in particular, who, which is, who, me? So innocent. Who alerted the register? Your mom! <laughs> And what font was that? Creepster. Creepster font. That's right. God, that font gets no. every time. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Who did alert the register? Actually, it was Boris himself. I, I'm going with himself. I don't know. I, Boris you know, themselves. The, the fact that the we don't Boris. know who Boris is means that, indeed, it could be your mom. That's true. Kelsey, do you know what your mom's been up to over the last few weeks? I Julia Has she been tight-lipped is... about it? Oh, tight-lipped, yes. Julia is a very mysterious woman. Who knows? Who you knows? should just say, hey, Boris, <laughs> yeah, just real quick to your mom, and see if, she, like, see if she drops whatever she's holding or flinches. <laughs> dodge any bullets lately? Yeah, dodge any bullets recently, <laughs> Boris? I think you know what I'm talking about, <laughs> Boris. I think that yeah. would end well. Um, certainly. <laughs> Yeah, so, so so this actor called up the register and uh, said, "Oh, by the way, here's all this data," and um, but was not uh, answering any of their questions. What exactly was that data that was included in this so-called dump? Well, it was a so-called dump because that's what they call these things. But <laughs> as they are so-called, <laughs> I can't. Oh god, no! There were lots of different <laughs> file types, and it was the common kind that you would expect. Like there were XLS files and ZIP files and texts and docs and stuff. But uh, I will note also that MP3 was one of the file types, hence the Stevie Wonder reference, which was not out of place. Trivia question: What's Stevie Wonder's birth name? Anyone? That would be Steveland Morris. Steveland. Steveland. That's a that's a killer first name, isn't it? I. Oh my gosh, that's the best first name ever. Steveland? I know. That I is, just wish we had a that Steve here so I could call him Steveland. I know. Can well, we, we just hire one. someone named Steve? Like I call Sean Seanathan and I would call Steve Steveland. <laughs> yeah, that would be good. <laughs> is this Steve? land is so Steve anyway, land. So, but, but uh, <laughs> one of the things that makes this interesting, besides that somebody at Perceptics had good taste in music, is that. Uh, finding random like MP3s and stuff amid the files could be an indication that it was somebody's personal machine that was compromised rather than a, uh, a server or something like that. Don't really know, but from a forensic standpoint, it's kind of interesting. But I don't know, maybe Perceptics is just trying to put up, put some music up there too on the web. On that? Not very well no. guarded, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it was. Maybe Boris is just really good. I don't know. Boris. So... Uh, that's kind of an interesting segue then into the, the implications of this particular hack and what it not only means for perceptics, but for con, you know basically folks driving cars around with license plates, especially around the U.S., Canada, and Mexico border borders, I should say. Yeah, I mean, there are an awful lot of cars that seem to have these license plate thingies on them. So um, there's, uh, there's potentially a lot of privacy um, issues here with the loss of this data. Um, and it was not just 
this license plate was seen at this location at this time, that's bad enough. But there was also things like, you know, border security data that may have been, um, you know, held by this company. I don't know exactly what that means, but um, information about inspection of commercial trucks and stuff. Um, so a lot of different kinds of data held on to by this company, and uh, it is all, uh, as you mentioned, it's available. It's not even for sale. It's just out there on the dark web for uh, whoever's interested in grabbing it. I always enjoy, sometimes enjoy, reading comments on these types of pieces. And uh, a commenter that was creatively named Anonymous Coward, uh, <laughs> quite honest there, uh, <laughs> potentially, I don't know the anonymous part for sure, brought up an interesting point, which is they said, one can only hope that this happens so frequently that governments are forced to stop using this kind of tracking technology. And I wanted to to get your thoughts on that as well. Sure. I mean, personally, I'm I'm pretty much a privacy advocate. So that was uh, that was kind of one of my responses as well, that, uh, you know, it um, I mean, the problem is, right, somebody could get hurt by the loss of this data. Somebody innocent could get hurt. So that is no good. But uh, I certainly am not a big fan of having, you know, mine or everybody's uh, whereabouts constantly tracked. Um, and so I'd be thrilled if a lot of governments decided to back off from using this kind of technology. Unfortunately, I don't think this hack is likely to cause that. But maybe if there were tons of them, who knows? Emily, I see you shaking your head pretty fervently. What do you think? Yeah, I was shaking my head and. um sad agreement that I don't think this one particular incident is going to stop the government from using this kind of technology. I do think there's some interesting implications here because this is uh, the type of data that can affect all of us. You know, we, especially we live up here pretty close to the Canadian border. So our license plates might've been affected, but it's not something that we got to opt in or opt out of. And I think that brings up interesting implications with um, different types of technology that we aren't given the opportunity to opt out of as well, such as, you know, the the new onset of like facial recognition technology being used in airports and being used elsewhere. Um, and there have been a couple times lately where people have attempted to opt out of that and have not been allowed to do so. So if so if people are able to get their hands on this kind of data and it's license plate data and there's nothing that we really could do about that, like what is the next step? Like how much of our personal information and our personal data is the government or whoever going to be allowed to collect. And then these companies are, you know, they have their hands on it. And we have really no idea what they're collecting. Even now after the incident, there's still some stuff that you said, um, you don't really know what it means, like border security data. What does that mean? Well, I wish I didn't have to go on to maybe like Shodan or the dark web to find out what information about me is out there. But it's like, Sometimes it feels like it's come to that. So I just think that there's interesting implications here as far as a gray area um, between bad and good. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I do want to open it up then up for the, the hoodies and goodies, if you will. The committee will accept goodies scores for this hack as well. Um, but Tim, I'd start with you. What, what would you grade this at? Yeah, that, that's actually a, a good point because, you know, there's a little tiny privacy advocate part of me going, yay. <laughs> But I really don't think that's uh, the the net of this is good. So um, I would probably call this about a a three hoodie right now. It's I, I don't know how widespread the effects of this are going to be on uh, people, um, you know, in general. So 
Uh, and because the data is being given away, on the one hand, that means that lots of people can get their hands on it. On the other hand, that also suggests that maybe it doesn't have a lot of criminal value. And so, therefore, it's not going to get spread around that much. I, I'm not really sure. Uh, so, I'm, I guess I'll go with a three. Solid three. What do you think about that, Emily? Yeah, I agree that this is a net positive hoodie, meaning a net negative, like, to the world kind of <laughs> incident. Um, even though there are some interesting, potentially gray area implications, I don't think that this is something that would belong on the goodie scale. But on the hoodie scale, I I think that for now, I was thinking a three or a four, so I'll just go with four to be different. Um, because we don't know the full extent of the, the you know, the data or where how it's going to be used. So I think that lingering question mark uh, kind of pushes it up to a four for me until we find out maybe more about it and that might drop it down to a three or below or potentially push it up even further, though I doubt it. Um, so I'm going to go with four. All right. I'm going to slack you my uh, license plate number so when you go grab this off the, <laughs> the web, will you just check for it, please? I'm sure it's there. Have you ever driven to Canada? No, but they say that it's uh, – I haven't driven that car to Canada while it's had that license plate, I don't think. Mm. But um, the borders aren't the only place where these guys' yeah. things are installed. That's that's one of the main places. But What about, like, toll booths? Or, like, not toll booths, but you know how you can oh, drive? Oh, the electronic to <laughs> tolling thing? Yeah, I do always wonder where that information goes. Yeah. Right. When you get the little flash, flash of light before going inside the tunnel. I think the flash of light is supposed to be on the other side of the tunnel is how that's supposed to work. Um, right. The light at the end of the tunnel, yeah. not the light at the beginning of the tunnel. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Which one's really worse? <laughs> well, this leads well, not really at all, into our <laughs> next discussion point. I smell a rat. So in April of this year, UnSilo detected what it believes to be new activity by Chinese cyber espionage group APT-10. So the variants discovered are previously unknown and deploy malware that is unique to the threat actor. So these malware families have a rich history of being used in many targeted attacks against government and private organizations. And the activity surfaced in Southeast Asia, a region where APT-10 frequently operates. So APT-10. So Emily, resident APT apt expert. Um, she is very apt. She is apt. Thanks. Apt for the APT. Uh, so I'd love to hear a download on this group. What types of campaigns have been attributed to them in the past? What's their MO, if you will? Sure. So APT-10, also known as Stone Panda and a variety of other names, as all of these APTs have, um, this one has been pretty active throughout the years. Most notably, they are the group that has been... Um, attributed with conducting the Cloudhopper campaign from a few years ago. And in that particular Cloudhopper campaign, what they did was compromise uh, managed service providers or MSPs in order to gain access to the networks of those MSPs clients. So that was um, really notable at the time and still to this day. In that incident, they used spear phishing emails to deliver um, uh, several different types of rats to their victims. Um, and in fact, the APT-10 was in the news within the last six months. I don't even know what month it is now. But, yeah, within the last six months because um, in December of this past year, just a few months ago, two Chinese nationals were actually indicted for being associated with the Cloudhopper 
campaign and being associated with APT-10. Of course, they're in China, so they have not been arrested or, or anything like yeah. that. Yeah, but um, the indictments are out there with their name and their face and their their um, picture and all that. So that is something pretty notable as far as APT-10 goes. Absolutely. Thank you for that that lowdown. And I'd also like to know and have you break down the TTPs associated with the newest campaign, which is what this article is referencing. Sure. So as you mentioned, it was discovered by InSilo. Um, in this case, they used a legitimate exe, jjs.exe, to um, sideload a malicious DLL. And um, this article was a very technical um in-depth, I guess, analysis of the the malware and stuff associated with this campaign. Um, so I am going to try to stay kind of at a surface level of this because I don't know necessarily that we need to really get into the nitty-gritty. Mm-hmm. But basically what's going on here is that they are retrieving a malicious payload, which is um, Quasar Rat. Um, and this is a modified version of Quasar Rat that includes a Sharpsploit um, module that allows them to get passwords from infected machines. And in addition, they're also using PlugX, which has been known to be used by this group in the past, to get system information such as computer name, username, operating system, and other stuff. As far as attributing it to APT10, InSilo um, does give a list of reasons why they are attributing this particular campaign to APT10. Um, they said that there are a few TTPs that have been used in the past by APT10 and also have been seen in this particular campaign. So in particular, the um, fact that they're, they were bundling legitimate executables to sideload a custom DLL along with storing the payload in a separate encrypted file, um, the use of typo squatting. In this case, they used typosquatted domains pretending to be Microsoft and Kaspersky, and they were just like spelling it slightly wrong. Um, the unique malware families, both developed by and associated with the groups, that would be Quasar Rat and PlugX. And then um, using the C2 servers located in South Korea. So because of those four reasons, InSilo at least really believes that this is associated with APT10. Yeah, that's that seems like a pretty good case. To some extent, it's always hard to go through full attribution, but it seems it like is. they mapped that out quite well. They did. I appreciated, I will say, in Silo, the use of um, a whole section with bullets explaining why they did the um, attribution. Because I feel like a lot of times you'll see articles, people are like, ah, it's ABT10. And then like they're like, because China. And it's like, okay, well, can we can we get some more details here? So I appreciated right. their um, evidence-based analysis. Absolutely. And you also mentioned earlier that they did a really fantastic rundown and technical breakdown of the malicious payloads and malware mm-hmm. that were executed in these in this particular campaign. So would you mind talking through maybe the, the Quasar Rat? Sure. Um, the Quasar Rat, um, as I mentioned, this was specifically a slightly modified version of it. Um, but the way that they got this on the machine was that the rat itself was downloaded when the shell code... Um, tried to run a specific file from the C users public documents folder. Um, if it wasn't there, it attempted to download it from a hard-coded um, URL. Um, either way, the executable was a downloader written in .NET, and it was disguised as a legitimate system executable, um, which of course was the Quasar Rat with Sharpsploit. So that's how it was downloaded, 
how it runs, it's a rat. <laughs> so it's a remote access Trojan, obviously, and it can be used to gain information about the system or it can be used to monitor keystrokes um, and stuff like that. And as I mentioned with Sharp Sharpsploit, it can also be used to siphon off passwords. So um, a very useful piece of malware for the um, bad guys or the, you know, APT10 in this case, um, just to get a lot of information about their, their victims and as is APT10's um, MO, to get a lot of... Uh, like st stuff for espionage value. So as is as is, you know, China's main goal with with their state sponsored uh, cyber espionage. They're always trying to get um, business stuff that intellectual they property. yeah intellectual property that they can then stuff steal like and not yep. have to pay to develop their own. So that kind of rat is going to be especially useful for that. That's really interesting, and I did notice that you delved into the the malicious payload associated with Plug X. Would you walk through that as well? Sure. This one, um, as I mentioned, the article was really technical, and this is a pretty technical description. So, again, I'm going to – I don't mean to, like, skip over, but I I don't know that – little highlight reel for Plug X? Exactly. A Plug da -da -da, X highlight reel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. So, so this variant of Plug X was, you know – Pretty similar to the um, variants of PlugX plug we've seen in the past. It uh, has ways of preventing specific security products um, from identifying it. And it also attempts to kind of mask itself or hide its um, functionality by um, making fake uh, calls to the Git Foreground Window API to kind of sandwich, I guess, or like not really obscure, but hide what it's doing within the noise of these uh, dummy calls. Additionally, it attempts to remove any sign of McAfee's email proxy service from the infected machine. Um, it kills the process, it deletes related keys in the registry, and it recursively deletes any related files and directories on the machine. So it just, like, uh, obliterates it. Ends up after itself really yeah. well. So it um, definitely has some anti-detection and um, some sneaky, if you will, Techniques built in, exactly. That was a good face. You had <laughs> I did a sneaky face. But it sounds pretty sophisticated. <laughs> exactly, which is another, I think, um, tick in the APT-10 bucket, yeah, bucket APT to bucket. give more um, reasoning behind in silos attribution yeah. here. This is no Canadian tuxedo threat actor group. <laughs> this is tux, black tie, sophisticated Drinking a martini. Kind of James Bond level. Yeah, tuxedo. Out Pinky out like Patrick mm -hmm. on SpongeBob. British accent, surely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, you have provided quite a bit of information on this. I'm curious, Emily, just where you feel, especially with your APT, your APT knowledge, generally speaking, how concerned should we be about this? What, what would you rate this at, hoodie-wise? I'm going to give this around a five for now. I think... Uh, once there's more information available about who they were targeting or why or um, maybe the scale of this or what they're trying to steal, it might bump it up, actually, if they're um, like the Cloud Hopper campaign was much success to this. But for now, I haven't seen much in the, in the way of uh, discussion of victims or uh, overall success of this campaign. Right. So I think I'm going to have to keep it in the middle ground um, just because there's certainly a threat. 
of success here, but um, unknown at this point whether or not it was actually successful for APT-10. Definitely a great point. I know we talk about scale frequently as one of the indicators, if you will, of hoodies, mm-hmm. IOH. Um, <laughs> Tim, I want to give you a, a chance here to, to chat through if you had any thoughts and tie that back into a hoodie rating yourself for this uh, for the APT-10 campaign. Yes. First of all, I always knew I shouldn't trust servicehost.exe. <laughs> and now these guys have proved why. <clears throat> no, I mean, they, they do... Uh, they do some pretty good evasion of detection at various stages of this. Now, some of that you can also get around. Like, you know, they change the magic byte on some of the files, so they're hoping that kind of your typical deep packet inspection firewall or something will uh, will let the uh, let these excuse me let the malcode kind of get by. Um, there are smarter inspection proxies that actually aren't fooled by changing the magic byte. They actually look into what the what the file is. Um, so that evasion may or may not work in some cases, depending on what technologies people are using. Um, and then, you know, some of the callouts are to these uh, spoof domains. So, uh, you know, hopefully there are, you know, people are using technologies that help them detect spoof domains um, so that uh, that traffic could potentially be stopped or at least it could be flagged and you could have a detection on it. So. But in general, yeah, this thing was put together pretty well. And I, I would put my hoodie rating kind of in the similar, similar range to where Emily put it. I'd probably put it at about a five also. Um, I think a lot of it is going to really depend on how well we're able to build detections for this. Um, and that information, I think, is not really clear yet. Yeah, all great points. And, um, well, we, we did touch a little bit on spoofed um, domain names of legitimate sites, and that actually leads us well into our final discussion, which is a bleak outlook on an Office 365 phishing scam. So a new phishing uh, campaign is underway that pretends to be from Office 365 team, warning that your email account cancellation has been approved and that all of your email will be deleted unless you cancel the request within the hour. In some ways, I think that might actually be helpful. Some people might wish that, might have just let that email sit. Um, <laughs> but I know that there are so many different phishing scams about Microsoft domains, PayPal, um, Apple. Those are pretty common ones that we see pop up. And so I'm curious, first of all, Tim, is there anything that interested you about this particular phishing scam? Sure. I mean, in many respects, this looks like a pretty typical scam. And I think the the big picture of it is it's it's fairly typical stuff going on here. But it was kind of clever social engineering the way that this one worked because um, we are taught to sort of have these these negative actions toward things that seem suspicious, right? Like don't do it or um, push it away, make it go away, et cetera. And the call to action, the malicious link in this particular phishing email is cancel this request now. So it's the kind of thing that maybe if somebody's moving fast, they're not thinking about it too much, they'll be like, oh, yeah, of course I want to cancel this. And even if they think maybe it's something illegitimate, if they're not thinking clearly, and then, again, because maybe they're in a hurry, I'm going to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. If you ever clicked on something you shouldn't have, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt and just assume that you were moving too quickly and not that you are in sore need of phishing education. But anyway, cancel this request. Oh, yeah, I don't. that looks bad. 
cancel, make it go away. Mm -hmm. So that's what gets you in trouble in the case of this particular scam. Absolutely. And I think, too, it might be helpful for our listeners if you walk through uh, the actual sort of step-by-step process of how that campaign and phishing scam was built out. Yeah. So it's, um, it's, again, it's fairly typical stuff. So when you, um, when you, if you fall victim to it and you click on the link, the cancel this request now, you come to a fairly convincing looking login page. It uses the right fonts and everything. Um, and what you may not notice if you're not accustomed to looking carefully at the URLs that you go to, it is a legitimate domain. It's onedrive.live.com. So far, so good. That's That belongs to Microsoft. That's legit. But the uh, attacker created this thing um, doing a survey. So it's actually a survey page. And so that's one thing that if you if you clicked on the link initially, it's another chance for you to realize, huh, maybe something's not quite right. Because why would Microsoft have the word survey in a login page? So hopefully some people, if they if they did click the link, they caught that and said, oh, never mind. But if, uh, if not, then the survey asks them to put in their email and their password. And if they do that, uh, they've just handed over their uh, Microsoft credentials to the attacker, which is a sad trombone kind of a moment. Right. And because the, the this is hosted on legitimate Microsoft infrastructure, if you're in the habit of doing things like checking the certificate, well, the certificate's going to check out just fine because it's legitimate Microsoft infrastructure. So there are only a couple of places here to um, where you as the human can jump in and keep yourself safe from this thing. They are kind of the usual things that you want to, right? The first one is just... I don't think this email looks legitimate. Why would I be receiving this? Um, I think I'll ignore it. That's good. Hopefully you did that. But if not, then maybe you noticed that word survey in the link and that made you uh, uh, hesitate to go further with it. Absolutely. Yeah, they did a pretty pretty good job setting that up. Um, Emily, do you have anything you want to add? Yeah, this is, it's kind of funny. This campaign, I feel like the the threat actors always almost get it lately. It's been like, um, you know, in this case, like you were talking about, the, the actual phishing page itself, I think is pretty smart to use that survey page. I think that was pretty clever. Um, but then you look at the email and it's like, come on, man, like, can you threat actors just put a little more pride in your work and maybe <laughs> not make this email look so freaking fishy. It does look pretty fishy. It looks it's awful. True. And it's it's just I couldn't really convey that over the podcast, but it it, it just looks bad. It looks as we would have said when I was a kid, fakey. 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 That's everybody um, close your eyes and imagine what a fakey email would look like. That's what we used to say in the when the, you know, long before CGI I'm dating myself here. In the science fiction uh, movies or TV shows where the spaceships looked really fakey, uh, like that was what made Star Wars awesome is that none of the ships looked fakey. This email looks fakey. It looks fakey. This is a bad CGI. <laughs> yeah, this is like the spaceship where you could see the wire that it was hanging yeah. from as it moved across the screen. Um, but then it's so sad because then the, the, the phishing page itself is like not a fakey at all. I mean, no, the phishing page itself is pretty decent if you so, didn't notice that survey aspect to it. I hope this doesn't uh, maybe inspire more 
Less creative yeah. um, threat actors from using this as well. But, uh, you know, I, I another thing I will say, sorry, I got distracted by the fakiness of the email. But one thing I will say <laughs> is that this is another good, good moment to reiterate the need for two-factor authentication because... If you did accidentally fall for this fakey email and then you get to the page and it looks quite legit and you put your email and password in, if you had two-factor authentication, it would not be the end of the world. They could try to log in and they would be unsuccessful if they did not have your two-factor code. And then all you would have to do is reset your password without any um, harm having come to your account. So this is just another reminder that if you don't have two-factor authentication turned on for your email accounts or really for everything, <laughs> then get on that because this um, level of sophistication in that there is very little of it in this particular campaign would be completely thwarted by two-factor. So. And the other thing is that if you had two-factor turned on, then when you went to this this login page, which was the survey thing, and you, if you did log into it, you wouldn't get the two-factor prompt, which might like, make what? you think, wait a minute, oh. that's wrong. I should have gotten the two-factor prompt. Okay, I better go change my stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, getting that text message of someone saying they logged in, and then you look at the IP and it's associated with the geo, that makes no, no sense. sense. <laughs> it's like, oh, a great reminder to change all of my passwords. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But uh, let's let's finish this off then. Let's do some rating. Emily, what do you think in terms of hoodies for this fishing campaign? I'm going to go pretty low on the hoodie scale here. Um, somewhere in the one or two range um, because this I, I have seen so many phishing emails that look very similar to this. And this is just another variation on the same theme. I don't think that this is anything necessarily like novel, new, or terrifying. But I do think that um, the fact that they're using legitimate Microsoft infrastructure to host a little survey is um, smart. But I, again, I don't think this is um, anything to lose sleep over. So It's not going to make them rich in the long run. It's not. Hmm. It's not enough. It's not enough. Tim? Yeah, I agree. This is pretty low. It's probably about a one. Um, so don't fall for this, people. Don't make our hoodie ratings look bad. Yeah, or don't fall for a one hoodie event. Exactly. Uh, there you go. Um, I would say this has been, on average, a very low hoodie week. I think people must have been on a vacation here for Memorial Day. Yeah, you know, Dropping even the ball. criminals need a break every now and then. It's, it's a tough life, but Hashtag someone's got to do it. <laughs> That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at DomainTools. All of the articles mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at blog.domaintools.com. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. That's it for this week. We'll see you again next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click.